morning, New Life. Welcome. You guys can have a seat. I want to extend a warm welcome to those of you here in the room with us, as well as those who may be joining us via live stream this morning. Who else is happy that we are in fall weather now, man? This is, this is awesome. Yeah, this weekend I woke up yesterday and we were going out for a 5K run for one of our kids and it was like 48 degrees and I was like, ah, yes, God is good. And uh, I have properly um, prepared myself, placed all of the, the, the body armor of God on and prepared myself already for the onslaught of demonic pumpkin spice everything that some of you guys still struggle with. And so I'm, I'm praying that the Lord would deliver you from that that spirit of evil um, this fall. And um, now, nah, man, we're, we're excited for the fall. And uh, we got a couple things coming up. One's going to be a reminder if you've been around. One's going to be brand new. Uh, the first one is Love 828 is coming up in just a couple of weeks. And so that's kind of our fall outreach event where we're going to just, man, flood our community, flood Buncombe County, be the hands and feet of Jesus. So again, that's on a Sunday. That's two weeks from now, 22nd. Um, and we are going to gather here first, just so you know. So we are going to gather here at 915, uh, which means you're actually going to have to set your alarms for the 11 o'clock service to be here at 915. We're going to sing a couple of songs. We're going to have a devotional. Uh, you can grab your uh, T-shirt, all that kind of stuff, and we're going to go. So if you haven't already registered for that event in two weeks, please go ahead, go to our website, newlifeofashville.com. You're going to see a logo that says Love A2A. You just click on it, little registration form, T-shirt size, all that kind of stuff. Uh, super easy. So let me just encourage you, please don't see that day as a day of like, we're not having normal church, so I'm going to like sit at home and eat Cheerios and lay on the couch or Netflix it up or whatever it is. Uh, please come and be a part of the day, all right? Be a part of the body of Christ as we go out uh, into our city to, to minister and do good works in his name. The second thing is, it's hard to believe, Ben, but New Life was launched 26 years ago. Isn't that crazy, guys? Launched 26 years ago. Um, actually, last summer was our 25-year anniversary, and last summer was hectic, crazy, got away from us. So we're celebrating a 25 plus one, a quarter century of God's faithfulness to this church. Some of you are still around who were a part of that core group, like the Steve Harris group that started meeting in middle schools and stuff like that and launched this whole church, man. And that group of people had a vision for a gospel-centered church in the heart of this city that was also kind of modern and could reach the next generation. And so, man, we just want to celebrate God's faithfulness to our church family over the course of the last quarter century. So the very next Sunday, right after the 11 o'clock service on the lawn, man, we're going to have a huge tent. We're going to cater in this awesome barbecue. We're going to have yard games, lawn games. It's going to be a great time. We're going to set up a stage. People that want to share stories and testimonies of how God has impacted them through this faith family are going to have an opportunity to share. So please, those two Sundays, just go ahead and mark them on your calendar. They're kind of special, different events, but they're both going to be really, really good. And I'm super pumped for uh, both of them. It's going to be a good time. Uh, April 21st, 1980. I was a, a wee little one-month-old uh, baby at the time. There was a woman by the name, some of you may remember her, of Rosie Ruiz. We've got a picture of her. Rosie Ruiz. She accomplished an amazing feat in the early 80s. She won the Boston Marathon with a time of just over two and a half hours, which smashed the previous uh, Boston Marathon time by a woman. And it was actually the third fastest time run by a woman in marathon history. It was incredible. It was inspiring. Uh, there was only one problem. Nobody that ran the race remembered seeing her during the race. And so people became increasingly suspicious when as she crossed the finish line, she was hardly sweating, her cheeks weren't even flushed, and her hair was still styled. 
It turns out she didn't actually run the race. About half a mile before the finish line, she snuck out of the crowd and sprinted to a victory. And as they uh, researched and interviewed people, they later discovered that she, uh, she again didn't run the race. It was a it was, she was cheating, and so she was disqualified. She lived the rest of her days in shame, always to be remembered as a fraudster. Now, if you're anything like me, you look at stories like the one of Rosie Ruiz, and you just kind of shake your head in, like, disbelief and disdain. Like that sorry Saka, I can't believe she would do that or someone would do that. But what, what if I were to tell you that we all have a little Rosie Ruiz in us? that we all tend to like shortcuts in life. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with shortcuts per se, but we tend to like shortcuts for things in life that demand the full thing, that demand the full marathon. And I think this is increasingly difficult uh, in today's age and culture because uh, we really glorify instant gratification in our culture, right? We are the culture of fast food and microwave meals. I heard of one church that offers drive-through communion, right? Could you imagine, right? You pull through the portico and Mike flings a wafer down your throat as you roll down the window and I take my jug of wine and pour it in your mouth or if you're Baptist, some Welch's grape juice down your mouth and say, oh, God bless you in the name of the Father. Next car, right? Like, it seems crazy to us, but we live in this culture that's running at this breakneck speed and we want everything right now. We want it fast, and again, there's not anything necessarily wrong with this idea of having a shortcut except for in areas where it actually doesn't work in life. We want it fast. Many of us have tried shortcuts in all kinds of ways, in all kinds of areas of life that have led to disastrous results. And I think one particular area where we've tried this with a terrible result is in the area of community, the spiritual family of God. What we used to call, when I was growing up in church, in the Baptist culture, fellowship. In fact, growing up in my Baptist church circles, we usually had a building on our campus called the Fellowship Hall, where we would have these things called pot lux, which was just short for a bunch of Baptists gnawing on chicken legs and eating banana pudding, right? Which right now sounds pretty good. <laughs> All the Baptists said, hey man, glory to God, where's the KFC? Um, yeah, that actually sounds pretty good right now, doesn't it? Um, but here's what's happened, guys. We've, we've taken something that takes time, and we've tried to distill it down and microwave it to something that doesn't, doesn't work that way. And so we've tried to find community and the family of God and relationships and friendships and fellowship and all these biblical concepts, and I'm going to need somebody to come turn this speaker off just like we did last time. It's going to rumble. It's not an earthquake, guys. We're good. We're good. It's coming. It's coming. Will to the rescue. All right, Will. Everybody give it up for Will. Oh, all right, all right. Just testing you guys to see that you're really dialed in, paying attention to the message this morning. But what, man, we, we do. We, we try to microwave things and fast track things that just aren't meant to be fast tracked down. So we try to find these things like community and relationship and things like scrolling through social media. 
And we feel like because we see what's going on in people's life through Facebook or Instagram that we really know them and have a deep relationship when in fact we don't. Or we feel like we're going to find it in superficial relationship as we just have kind of surface level conversations in the lobby, by the coffee bar, about whatever, the, the weather, the sports game last night, whatever it is. And, and the result of this kind of shallowness, the lack of authentic community and relationship is something that sociologists are now calling a loneliness epidemic in America. So I want to just give you a couple of stats to kind of drive, drive this home. According to a, a new re, newly released NPR article, young people aged 15 through 24, get this, y'all, have 70% less social interaction with their friends than people only two decades ago. 70, I didn't say 7%, 70% less real-life, face-to-face, relational interaction with their peers than just people two decades ago, like in the early 2000s when I was in college. And that's absolutely bananas. Fortune magazine says that three in five U.S. adults are now considered chronically lonely. That same article goes on to say, and I quote, chronic loneliness rewires our brains and produces harmful inflammation it fuels nearly every dangerous disease in the book, including, listen, high blood pressure, heart disease, obesity, depression, Alzheimer's, cancer, and dementia. Who wants some of that soup? In fact, it goes on to say, research has found that the health risks of prolonged loneliness are similar to those of smoking 15 cigarettes every day. I also saw a headline just this past week that said the suicide rate has now hit a record high in the United States of America. Listen, y'all, our, our lack of authentic connection with one another, which, by the way, cannot be replicated through Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Snap, is literally killing us physically. But the question that I have as a pastor is, what's it doing to our souls? Because my guess is it's not any better for our souls than it is for our bodies. And so the question then becomes, man, is there a solution to this cultural phenomena and problem that we all sort of exist in, in the way of Jesus. Is there a solution in the way of Jesus? Now, for the last four weeks, we've been in a series called Rhythms, where we've been uh, really exploring the habits of Jesus, otherwise known as the spiritual disciplines. And so we've been looking at all kinds of things like silence and solitude, and Sabbath and celebration, prayer and fasting, simplicity and generosity. And many of you have told me of the ways that God has already been at work as you've implemented some of these things. And I praise God for that. Today, we're going to wrap up our series by looking at two more of these ancient rhythms or practices known as spiritual disciplines that Jesus modeled for us. And today, we're going to be looking at the two uh, practices of community and service. Community and service. But before we jump in, uh, would you join me as we ask God to, to help us as we open his word this morning? God, uh, we come to you, and I think our confession would have to be that for most of us, the world just feels chaotic, and it feels fast, too fast. Oftentimes, it feels like things are out of control, not just in our little world, but the world at large. And as we look at wars in Europe that rage on, as opened up a news app uh, yesterday and, and saw that there's a conflict in Israel now where hundreds, if not thousands, have already been killed. Some innocent hostages have been taken, God. And we just look around at the chaos of our own personal life and the chaos in the world, and it can be really daunting and discouraging at times, God. 
So we just want to pray for the, the scriptures tell us to pray for peace, to seek peace, to even pray for the peace of Jerusalem, Psalm says. And so we ask you for that, God. We know that uh, you stand above all the kings and rulers of this world. As the Psalms say, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. Like a rushing river of water, you can move the, the heart of kings and rulers and presidents, God. And so we ask that you would do that, that you would give safety and shelter to those who are innocent, Father, that you would bring justice and righteous punishment to those who uh, shed blood that, of the innocents. God, we ask for our own peace of mind and heart, God, as we just kind of look at our own lives and our own uh, marriages and families and relationships and workplaces and school places, God. We can also feel completely out of control just in our own little world to say nothing of the whole big global sphere of what's going on, God. So we pray that you would minister to us where we are now. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would be here. I ask that you would be present in this moment, that you would speak to us, that you would calm us, that you would minister to our hearts in a special and unique way so that we might leave here uh, looking and sounding more like your son Jesus. We pray it all uh, in his strong and his beautiful name. Amen. Now there's a really interesting thing that happens when you begin to follow Jesus. Actually a couple of things that happen. Uh, first of all, we get the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you know that or not, but when we begin to follow Jesus, the scriptures tell us that we're indwelled by the actual Holy Spirit of God who leads us and guides us and convicts us of, of sin. Anybody else excited to have the Holy Spirit? Right? That's awesome, right? right? We got, uh, got at least a few non-Baptists in here, and so grateful for that. You're excited about the Holy Spirit. So we get the Holy Spirit. Not only do we get the Holy Spirit, we get a mission, right? We get a purpose in life. And so we're not just kind of aimlessly out there just hitting the grind nine to five, trying to get a degree or trying to make a living or whatever it is. Like we actually get a greater vision, a greater picture, a more beautiful calling to, 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 to really reach the nations with the gospel. And so we're gonna start diving into that mission next week with a new uh, sermon series. But not only do we get the Holy Spirit, not only do we get a mission together, the scriptures teach us we also get a brand new spiritual family. Like when we begin to follow Jesus, we inherit this, we get this built-in community of friendships and mentors and spiritual moms and spiritual dads and brothers and sisters, and it's really awesome, and it's oftentimes really messy and sometimes frustrating, but always necessary for our spiritual growth. And I want to be honest with you on two, two things this morning. I want to be honest with you both about the beauty of biblical community, but I also want to be really honest with you about the messiness and the challenges of authentic biblical community. But most of all this morning, I want you to see the gift that authentic kingdom community actually is, even amidst the good stuff and the hard stuff. If you have a Bible this morning, and I hope you do, go ahead and turn it on, turn your app on, whatever you got. Head to Mark's Gospel, chapter 10. Mark's Gospel, chapter 10. I want to set the stage for you before we dive in. Jesus has just had this really fascinating uh, exchange with this rich young guy who has a question about something that's really important, and that is the subject of eternal life. And Jesus tells this young man, uh, hey, listen, I want you to sell everything that you have, and I want you to give it away to the poor, and then I want you to follow me. And the young man uh, is dejected, and the scripture tells us that he walks away sad because in reality, this young wealthy man loved his stuff more than he loved Jesus. 
Jesus then turns to his disciples and explains to them kind of the, the dangers of riches and how it's almost impossible for the wealthy to enter into the kingdom of God because of all of these enticements and entrapments that come along with material possessions and wealth and how all of those things can tend to serve as functional saviors for the wealthy instead of God. And so uh, Peter, I was probably pretty disturbed by this exchange that he just saw and the teachings of Jesus, just like you and I are probably pretty disturbed by that because you probably have the same question I have when I read passages like that. Is, is Jesus going to ask me to do something horrible like that too? And if he does, am I actually willing to do what he's going to call me to do? And so it presents these kind of anxious questions in our mind, and I think Peter probably was feeling that same thing. And so let's pick up in the story there, starting in verse 28, Mark chapter 10. Peter Begin to say to him, that's Jesus, see, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, Peter, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. And so Peter, uh, being Peter, he's kind of like, hey, Jesus, I want you to know we're not like that rich cat that that was, that was loving his, his iPhones and his diversified portfolio more than you. Like, see us, we've actually given up everything to follow you. Like, we've left our careers, our upward mobility and the family business inside the city. We've left our family, our friends, like everything that we know to follow you. We're not like him. We're totally different. And Jesus, I picture him kind of with like a little smirk on his face. He looks at Peter and he's like, yeah, I know Peter. I know how much you've given up to follow me. And I want you to know God's gonna take care of you. He's gonna take care of you in some pretty astounding ways, even physical ways. Everything that you've ever given up to follow me, Peter, your job, your upward mobility and your family's fishing business, your friendships, moving away from your parents, like moving away from friends and family, like God's go God is going to repay you for that, Peter. And I don't think he's saying, like, he's saying that in some kind of weird name it, claim it, prosperity, gospel-y kind of way. I just think he's promising Peter that God is always going to take care of those who follow him. And there are some real practical benefits to it. Like we get, according to Jesus, we get his kingdom. We get eternal life, not just in heaven, but the abundant eternal life starting right here on earth when we begin to follow Jesus and we get his Holy Spirit. And not only that, we get some other, other tangible benefits. He says like a new family. You get new brothers and, and new sisters and new moms and new dads and new kids. Like, I just get this whole built-in thing. But here's the thing. None of that, none of those things are microwavable. None of those things are drive-through communion or winning a marathon by sneaking out of the crowd right before the finish line and running through. And I want, you to, I want you to notice that one of the things we may have to give up, according to Jesus, when we follow him, is certain family relationships. Now, some of you feel that more acutely than, than others. In fact, I've talked to some of you who have suffered um, the loss of family relationships because of your relationship with Jesus. Some of your family members just can't believe that you would be so narrow-minded that you would follow this guy who lived 2,000 years ago and died and claimed to come back to life and 
and, and, and teaches that he is the only way to the Father, the only way to find forgiveness. And so that has cost you some relational capital among your family. Others of you have moved to Asheville away from your family of origin. And, and, and you're here because you feel like God has placed you here to plant roots here in this really beautiful place and yet one of the most dark spiritual places in the southeastern United States. And it's cost you. And that shouldn't be a surprise to us. Jesus says this, this could happen. Like this is, this is part of the deal. When you, when you sign up to be my apprentice, to follow me, it's gonna cost you. And in some ways it may cost you even family relationships. But Jesus goes, yeah, you may have lost some relationships. You may have even lost some family relationships. But in the kingdom of God, you gain new brothers, new sisters, new spiritual moms, new spiritual dads, and new spiritual kids. And so in a sense, what Jesus is saying, and this is the first kind of take-home truth on the screens for you. Kingdom community is three things. Number one, it's a gift. Jesus is saying, this is, this is something that's, that's a gift. Like when you, when you follow me, you get several things. Again, the Holy Spirit, you get a mission, but you also get this whole big built-in family of God. And it's really incredible. And it's something that we need in order to thrive and flourish in our lives, in our journey and following Jesus. It's a it's a gift from our Heavenly Father who loves us and gives us good things. But did you also notice something else in the list in Mark chapter 10 that Jesus, Jesus promises to those who follow him? There's a list of like a bunch of good stuff, like new family, eternal life, even material possessions. But then there's something else. Let's look at verse 29 again. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brother or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive, this is good news, y'all, receive a hundredfold. Now, in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, in parentheses, with persecution, and in the age to come, eternal life. Now, doesn't it seem like one of those things is kind of out of step with all the others? It's like all these awesome, 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 incredible things. If you follow me, you're going to get all these awesome things and persecution <laughs> and a lot of hard stuff, which I think brings us to a really broad spiritual reality that, listen, y'all, following Jesus, let me say this. If you're a new Christian, this might be shocking to you. If you're not a new Christian, this won't be shocking to you. Following Jesus is hard. Did you know that? following Jesus can be really hard. It's beautiful. It's the best life available to us, but it's not always easy. And I think in our current cultural moment, I think uh, maybe for the first time as followers of Jesus in our nation, in the United States of America, we're maybe feeling that a bit, just like our brothers and sisters in Christ across the world have been feeling it since the beginning of time. We're beginning to feel that in our cultural uh, movement, are we? Like kind of like a little bit marginalized, a little bit misunderstood, Maybe a little bit persecuted in your neighborhood or your workplace or your school or your college campus because you're following Jesus. This shouldn't be a surprise to us. Jesus told us that this would happen, that in his kingdom, at least on this side of eternity, everything's not gonna be cotton candy and rainbows and unicorns all the time. There's gonna be some really hard stuff and this inclu includes, I think, clearly the kingdom community. Kingdom community. Now, Cheryl and I, my wife, we've been married for nearly 20 years, and really for the entirety of that time, we've been a part of some uh, small group community within the context of a local church um, during those 20 years. And so we've been a part of probably, I don't know, half a dozen, maybe more 
different small groups, community groups, cell groups, DNA groups, whatever, whatever churches call them. And here, here's what I can tell you after being involved in community group life for the last two decades. It's really, really amazing and life-giving, and it's really, really hard and messy. You want to know why? Because people are pretty messed up. People can be pretty annoying, including, including some of you irritating, insensitive, downright selfish and hurtful. And do you want to know what else I learned over the course of the last 20 years of living life in community with other believers beyond just Sunday morning for an hour as we sing and listen to a lecture? All those things that can be true about other people are also true of me. I can be insensitive, selfish, hurtful, irritating and annoying. So I don't, I don't want to sugarcoat this. I think sometimes pastors do their churches a disservice. They kind of like paint these beautiful pictures of rainbows. Like, hey, join a Sunday school class. Join a community group. And then you go experience real life difficulty. And you're like, man, this is not what he promised. So I don't want you guys ever to say Chris lied to me. So I don't want to sugarcoat this for you. Jesus certainly didn't sugarcoat this for each other. But, but kingdom community, and let, let me just pause and say this for a moment. Kingdom community happens in circles, not in rows. It, like it, as important as what we're doing right now is like the corporate gathering of the saints on the Lord's day on resurrection Sunday as we gather to worship and open his word and celebrate communion and baptism and pray and like all those things we're like it's actually commanded Hebrews 10 like we should be a part of this gathering on Sunday morning but the reality is man we're never gonna go deep and experience authentic Christian community and relationships looking at the back of someone's head as we sing and listen to a lecture for 30 minutes it's just not, it's not the way it works. That's, that's, that's the shortcut a, a mile away from the finish line, right? That's drive-through communion. It's not the way it works. Deep community isn't forged sitting in rows like this. Deep community happens sitting in someone's living room week after week, month after month. It happens over a meal. It happens sitting and crying with somebody in the hospital as they're wondering if their loved one is gonna make it. it. Happens as we throw birthday parties for our kids together. True community is forged in the crucible of real life. Not a curated version of yourself that you present to the world for an hour on Sunday morning. And so that's the second truth I want you to see about kingdom community that Jesus is inviting us into this morning is not only is it a gift, and it is a gift, but I want to be honest with you. Number two, kingdom community is hard. It's hard. It's messy. If you're like me, a child of the 80s, I can remember mid-80s, late-80s, um, when, when Tony Hawk, this professional skateboarder, took the world by storm. You guys remember that? If you're like 40 or older? And uh, I remember watching ESPN highlights of just these breathtaking, gravity-defying things that t Tony Hawk would do. And, and my seven-year-old self thought to himself I could do that and um <laughs> and uh and so I I asked my parents for for Christmas one year for a Tony Hawk skateboard and they somehow we were living in South America at the time they were church planters but somehow they they rounded up a, a authentic Tony Hawk uh, skateboard and I was so excited about it and but what I learned really quickly was that what looked so easy on ESPN 
was really hard in real life. <laughs> I almost died a few times, but a few bruises and skinned elbows and skinned knees later after a year or two, I kind of got the hang of it. And after a year or two, I actually could skateboard down this massive hill behind our house going 30 miles an hour and do a bunch of cool tricks. It was really incredible. The reality is a skateboard was a good gift, but it led to some really hard life lessons. And community is kind of like that skateboard. It's a great gift, but it can be really hard. And it can lead you to some bruised shins and some skinned up knees. But, but if you stick with it, according to Jesus, you find life. Because you find family, community, the life Jesus intended for us to live. I heard a really wise person. I honestly, God can't remember who it is or I would give them credit, but it was incredible insight. I'm actually gonna put this on the screens for you. It's so good. Difficulty in biblical community is a feature, not a bug. Let me say that again. Difficulty in biblical community is a feature, not a bug. Listen, guys, how can you learn patience if you never have to be patient with anybody else? How can you learn mercy if you never experience mercy from someone else when you don't deserve it? All of the fruits of the Spirit really are kind of hammered out on the anvil of spiritual community, the spiritual family of Jesus. And so oftentimes, the, the very things that tempt us to, to run away or push away from the table of relationship and fellowship and community are actually, according to Jesus, something of an invitation to press in and see where it leads in the long haul. Joseph uh, Hellerman wrote a, a book aptly named When Church Was a Family. And in that book, he says this. This will be on the screens for you. Spiritual formation occurs primarily in the context of Community. Persons who remain connected with their brothers and sisters in the local church almost invariably grow in self-understanding and they mature in their ability to relate in healthy ways to God and their fellow human beings. This is especially the case for those courageous Christians who stick it out through the often messy process of interpersonal discord and conflict resolution. Long-term interpersonal relationships are the crucible of genuine progress in the Christian life. People who stay grow. People who leave do not grow. It is a simple but profound biblical reality. We grow and thrive together or we do not grow much at all. There's a documentary, I think it's on Amazon now, called This Emotional Life. There's an amazing quote in that documentary I'll share with you also on the screen. It says this, Researchers have found that people are happier when they are with other people than when they are alone. Huh. And the boost is the same for introverts and extroverts. So if you're an introvert like me, man, you're not off the hook. Right? This is good for us too. They also are finding that happy people are more pleasant, helpful, and sociable. So being around people makes us feel happier, and when we are happier, we are more fun to be around, creating an upward spiral of happiness. I want to be in that spiral, the upward spiral of happiness. How do we get that? Being in community. It's relationships with other people, not isolation, scrolling through mindlessly your Instagram or your whatever you're on. Now, let me show you one more picture, and then we need to move on. In Acts chapter 2. I shared this last week, but we get this really compelling, beautiful snapshot of the early church, kingdom community, biblical community. But here, here's where I think a lot of us can go wrong, and I've been guilty of this. I think sometimes we can look at Acts chapter two and we can idealize it. 
Like, and I think for good reason, because it's a beautiful picture. But if you just flip a few pages on in your New Testament, you come to this really shocking and amazing book called 1 Corinthians. Have you ever read 1 Corinthians? My gosh, man. It's like Oprah meets Dr. Phil meets, I don't know, chaos and soap operas. In 1 Corinthians, we meet a church that struggled with leadership issues, sexual immorality in the church, chaotic worship services, spiritual gifting malpractice, drunkenness in the church gatherings. Y'all, they were a hot mess, just like many of us are. And yet, according to Paul in that letter, no less the family of God. No less loved by Paul and no less loved by Jesus. They were a family, as, as we are. But, but I want to show you this beautiful snap. Again, I don't want you to idealize this because our, our experience is not always going to be Acts 2. But I think this is a picture of, uh, of the design of what it can be, could be, what we ought to be pursuing. Because it's, it's really breathtaking in its beauty. I think it's compelling. Look again, Acts 2, starting in verse 42. And they, the early Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs, like all these crazy miracles are happening around them uh, through the apostles. And all who believed were together, this idea of family and community. They had all things in common, so they were sharing with each other, like, hey, bro, you need to borrow my car? All right, take my car. Are you hungry? Come to my pantry. Get my food. They were just living together. They were a family, and they were selling their possessions and belongings. Like, hey, man, I got this field over here. I'm not using it. Let me sell it and build you a house because you don't have a They were just loving each other in really incredible ways, selling their belongings, possess, distributing the proceeds as, uh, to all as any had need. And day by day, now watch this, attending the temple together. So they did gather in rows. They went to the temple and they listened to the Torah being preached and they sang worship songs. They, they did everything that we're doing right now here on Sunday morning, but they didn't stop there. They didn't just attend the temple together. It says also they were breaking bread in their homes. So rows and circles, not either or, both and. Breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is beautiful. This is powerful. This is compelling. This is winsome. This is something that our souls long for and need. And with that, I want to give you the last point about community. Kingdom community is not only a gift, not only is it hard, but this is probably the most important one. Guys, listen, it's worth it. It's worth it. Now, let me ask you a question. For you in your life, is, is anything worthwhile been easy in your life? Anything worthwhile, easy. For those of you who are athletes, like in high school or college, like, was that easy? Did you just roll out of bed and you were a great D1 athlete? Or, no, man. It's a lot of pain, it's a lot of suffering. It's a lot of discipline to get there. What about you, you folks who are married? Is a good marriage, does that come easy? I know your spouse is sitting there, so you maybe don't nod, but I see your eyeballs. The answer is, no, it's not easy. It's incredibly hard to have a good marriage. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of discipline. It's a lot of self-sacrifice. It's a lot of giving to others and putting my needs aside for the, the betterment of my spouse. It's all of those things. What about you parents? Is that easy? Does that come easy? Do you have teenagers? <laughs> no, it's not easy. It's a lot of, man, gosh, it's a, it's a lot of hard work. What about a relationship with God? Is that, is that easy? Does that come easy? 
Not for me, man. It's discipline, reading the scriptures, praying, fasting, practicing all these things we've been talking about for the last five weeks. None of it, nothing worthwhile in life comes without effort. And community is the same way, whether you're a Sunday school church or a small group church or Bible study, whatever your thing is. It doesn't come easy, but here's the deal. It's worth it. It's worth it. I love the... The, the late great pastor Eugene Peterson put his quote on the screens for you he says there can be no maturity in the spiritual life no obedience in following Jesus no wholeness in the Christian life apart from an immersion in an embrace of community I am not myself by myself and isn't that good I am not myself by myself and listen you are not yourself by yourself if you claim to be a follower of Jesus. You were designed to live among and with other brothers and sisters who are tracking on the same way spiritually and can encourage you and pray for you and get in your face and challenge you when you need it. We were created for one another not to live in isolation. All right, one more thing I need to talk to you about that's birthed from this idea of spiritual community, kingdom, family. And that is the ancient practice of service or using your spiritual gifts to build up the body and expand the kingdom of Jesus. And I I am absolutely 100% convinced that we at, at New Life Community Church, we will never be the church that we could be or God desires for us to be because I crush it on this stage every Sunday. Now, I would like to think that, right? In my... In my arrogance, I would like to think, man, I'm just going to get up there every Sunday and I'm going to crush it. And people are just going to fall on their face before Jesus. And we're going to win this city to the Lord because I'm crushing it every week. Listen, here's the reality. I've been doing this a long time now. Um, I don't hit home runs every Sunday. You guys know that. I usually hit a single and I'm kind of proud of myself. You know, every once in a while I hit a double. On Easter, you might get a triple. But we're not, we're not ever going to be who God wants us to be because I crush it on the stage every week. It's just not going to happen. We're not ever going to be who God wants us to be because we got the hottest band on this stage every Sunday or the best coffee bar or the best youth ministry or the best kids ministry or the best, you name it, whatever it is. We're not going to be the church God wants us to be because we're crushing it for an hour on Sunday morning. Now understand this, we work really, really, really hard to do Sunday morning well. And we work really hard because you're giving your time. We want to make this worthwhile for you. But Sunday, listen, Sunday morning is designed to be a springboard to being the church, not a final destination or a one-hour event. And so while we work really hard to crush it on Sundays, man, we are never going to be who God wants us to be if this is all we do. And I say all of that to say this. We will only, only ever be the church that God has designed for us to be right here in Asheville, North Carolina, when each and every single one of us here who follows Jesus realizes that you have been given a spiritual gift to build up this body and expand the kingdom of Jesus. Spiritual family, and I want you to listen to me, guys. Spiritual family is not a spectator event. It is a family on mission with Jesus. And so at the risk of stepping on some toes this morning, let me just ask you, follower of Jesus, if you consider this your church home, how are you using your spiritual gifting to build up this body right now today if this is in fact your faith family? How are you using the way God has hardwired you to build up this family? Another way to maybe repackage that question is, are you a consumer or a contributor 
in the family of God today. Because here's the deal. You were designed to function as part of this family. To use your God-given, Holy Spirit-inspired spiritual gifts to serve this body and expand the kingdom of Jesus. Now, let me show you from the scriptures what I'm saying here so you just don't think this is my opinion or Chris is just being pastory again. Romans chapter 12, this will be on the screens for you. It's Apostle Paul writing to the church in Rome. He says that this, therefore, brothers and sisters, that means all all of us, all the brothers and sisters of the faith, all y'all, in view of the mercies of God, because you have received so great of mercy, there are some expectations, Paul says. I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Not just your mind, not just your theology, not just having the correct doctrine, your body, your entire lives, your time, your effort, your energy, your spiritual gifts, your whole body, all that you are, present it as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. I don't know if you noticed that. It's not just singing a couple of songs on Sunday morning, as great as that is. It's giving away our whole lives to the kingdom of Jesus that he sees as worship. Verse four, now as we have many parts in one body, and what Paul's gonna do is he's gonna begin to use this analogy of the human body and anatomy to describe how the spiritual family of God works. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ. And individually, members of one another. In other words, you don't just belong to yourself. You belong to me. You, I belong to you. We're a part of each other. We belong to each other. We're the same family, the same body. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, teaching. Exhorting, exhortation. Giving with generosity. Leading with diligence. Showing mercy with cheerfulness. Paul continues the same light of thought as he writes to the church in Ephesus. He says this, and he himself, that's God, gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, basically the leadership of the church. Why did God give the church, his bride, leadership? Here, verse 12 answers the question, to equip the saints, everybody, all of us, for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each, each individual part. Peter, Jesus is probably one of his best friends, writes this in 1 Peter 4. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. And what all these New Testament writers and Jesus Christ himself are saying is this. Y'all, we need each other. God needs your gifts. And hopefully you need my gifts. Like, do you know who I think is the most important person on Sunday morning? The person who gets here early to make coffee in the lobby. This morning it was Patty. Because it's important for me to stay awake up here and it's important for you to stay awake out there, right? You know who the second most important person is on Sunday morning? The person who's back there right now rocking our babies, whispering truths about Jesus' love in their ears. 
before they're even old enough to articulate that truth. Man, I, I am way down the list. I just want to say, man, if, you, if you're sitting there, you're thinking, Chris, man, I, I've been here for three, four, five years, and man, I, just, I haven't felt the Spirit move, man. I, I, man, I have not felt the Holy Ghost warm fuzzies and goosebumps to serve anywhere in particular in this church. Let me just ask you a question. For those of you especially that know my sweet wife, Cheryl, just imagine a scenario where she were to say to me in our home, hey, babe, can you, can you uh, take the trash out or can you help move the laundry from, 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 the, from the dryer to the, to the living room so the kids can fold it? And just suppose that every time she made me aware of a need in our family, I, just suppose I said something like, babe, let me, let me pray about it. I, got, I just feel like I need the spirit to kind of move. And, and, and you know what? I just haven't felt him move me to the laundry department right now. Like I haven't got the goosebumps in my soul to take the trash out. And so I just, I can't, I don't feel like the spirit is, has released me for that. You know, we cloak all these things in religious language. Now we kind of we chuckle at that. But if that were to happen in my home, there, well, there are a couple of things that would flow out of that. <laughs> One is that next week it would be my casket up here instead of my body. So it'd be horizontal instead of vertical. The second thing is, I think my lovely wife might say something like, Chris, I'm sorry the Spirit isn't moving you in that direction, but if you don't get your butt in gear and start being a functional part of this family, I'm going to suffocate you with a pillow in your sleep tonight. <laughs> and I would probably would deserve it. Now, can I, can I just be real with you guys as my faith family this morning? Kind of real talk for a minute. If you're a guest, you can earmuff it right now if you want. One of our greatest challenges right now as a church family, especially among our leadership, is that we regularly have new people come through our doors who desire community, and we have to tell them, I'm sorry, we don't have a place for you. All of our groups are full. We don't have enough group leaders. We don't have enough living rooms that have been opened to facilitate what God is asking us and commanding us to do. We simply don't have enough space for the people coming in looking for community. More than that, we are constantly having to craft creative strategies in our preschool ministries, in our kids' church ministries, because we're shorthanded with volunteers, and they do a great job with what they have. They could be so much richer and more dynamic if we just had a fraction of our people raise their hands and say, I'm willing to serve our kids once a month. I'm willing to rock a baby and whisper that Jesus loves them once a month. I'm willing to go upstairs once a month and love on our kids in our kids' ministry. And here's the beautiful thing about our church. Not every church has this luxury, guys, but we have two, I don't even know this, we have two services every Sunday, 9, 15, and 11. So that's what my family does. That's what my wife does. That's what my oldest daughter, Haley, does. Once a month, they show up early and they help serve in preschool and kids' ministry and then they attend the next service. And it's a beautiful thing and it's a way that they can use their spiritual gifts to serve the body and love on your kids and it's an incredible thing listen guys i don't i don't say any of that to 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 lay a guilt trip on any of you i've been doing the pastor thing for a hot minute i know that guilt lasts about 36 hours and i know so many of you man you're you are connected in community here you are using your spiritual gifts to build up the body expand the kingdom of jesus and i want to just high five you in the lobby and give yourself a pat on the back that's awesome but here's the deal and again, this is the last truth on the screens for you we need each other 
man, I need you guys. And maybe I don't express that enough or passionately enough, but man, I need you guys. I need you loving on my kids in kids ministry and student ministry on Wednesday night. I need you making coffee early on Sunday morning so I can stay awake up here and so y'all can stay awake out there. I need those of you with musical gifts to lead me into the throne room every single Sunday morning. I need those of you with admin skills to help plan and execute mission trips and serve as liaisons with our community partners so Rodney doesn't burn out and move back to Texas or something like that. I need you in a thousand different ways. And hopefully you need me with my gifts, weak weak as they may be at times, of teaching and leadership. We need one another. And I want you to understand, you have been uniquely wired and gifted in this body to be a certain thing that I can't be for you. And the person sitting beside you can't be for you. And the person sitting behind you or in front of you or watching online, whatever, they can't be for you. Our elders can't be that for you. Our staff can't be that for you. Because listen, if God has designed for you to be the lungs of this church, I can't breathe for us. If he's designed you to be the ugly little pinky toe of the body, be the best ugly little pinky toe the world has ever seen but I can't be that pinky toe for you if you've been designed to be that. I need you guys. We need one another. I want you to understand, serving is an invitation from Jesus into his upside down kingdom. That's why he says in the gospels, the greatest among you will be your servant. He didn't say the greatest among you will will stand in front of a podium every Sunday and preach or sing like an angel from the stage or have some kind of huge visible public presence. In his value system, Jesus says, the greatest among you will actually be the servant. Now, I want you all to understand, listen, being a part of this big, beautiful, messy, oftentimes dysfunctional, frustrating, and also life-giving family of God means pressing into the ancient rhythms and practices of community and service. Community and service for our good, for the good of those around us and ultimately for the glory of King Jesus so as we have for this whole series let me give you some homework on the screen, just two things really quickly number one, pursue community and two, find your serve place pursue community and find your serve place, now again many of you are doing both, some of you are doing one of the two Um, give yourself a round of applause pat yourself on the back Um, but man, we, we need the whole family We are not who we are intended to be unless the whole family is rowing the boat in the same direction, using their spiritual gifts, your spiritual gifts, to build up this body, this family, to expand the kingdom of Jesus. So we want to make this as easy as we possibly can. If you go out into the lobby, there's a big wall straight out that says next steps or two round tables. And Pastor Jonathan has set up uh, very easy, just kind of a sheet like this. It's got three QR codes on it. So if you want to know more about community group life, you can scan the first QR code. That will send you an, e, uh, an invite to uh, kind of a video conference that Jonathan is going to hold November 5th at 5 p.m. So you can jump on that conference and learn what it means to be a part of a community group or, or maybe express interest in launching a new community group or whatever it is. So you can sign up for that if that's something that you need to do. There's a second QR code that just says ready to serve. And so if you're a part of this family, but you're not serving in any kind of real, tangible, meaningful way, scan that second QR code. It'll 
pull up a little thing that you fill out and we'll have one of our ministry leaders contact you and tell you about the different ways that maybe you can get involved. And the third QR code that you'll see out there on those tables is just kind of a, a project that we've given to our community groups, different creative ways to serve in the community, in your neighborhood, your apartment complex, things like that. And so listen, guys, we're, we're trying to make this as easy as we possibly can, right? So community, service, you don't even have to talk to anybody there if you don't want to. There are people there if you want to ask questions. But if you just want to hit the QR code and run out the door, uh, you can do that as well. Listen, guys, this is, this is something that's not a religious thing. It's not a legalistic thing. This is something that Jesus is patterning for us for our good so that we could flourish and thrive as his sons and daughters because we were never intended to live alone in this life. So let's pray, and then we're going to worship him. God, we come to you and we are grateful that you haven't left us as orphans, that you haven't left us as lone rangers to figure out the spiritual journey of following you by ourselves, but you've given us this entire beautiful, frustrating, life-giving, dysfunctional, but awesome and beautiful family to do life with, to, to grow in the spiritual disciplines and to hash out the fruits of the spirit and all these things that sometimes are hard and sometimes are even painful, but always necessary for our growth and our flourishing God. So I pray that you would help us repent of neglecting those things if we're neglecting those things, to not see those things as, as burdens, but invitations into the abundant life that you've offered us in this upside down countercultural kingdom of yours where the first shall be last and the last shall be first and the greatest among us is the servant among us. So God, help us to begin to see our lives and our time and our resources and our talents not through the lens that the world presents us but through the lens of your kingdom. Help us to, to leverage all that we are, our minds, our bodies, our time, our money, our all of it, to build up your family of faith and to expand your kingdom, not just in Asheville, but around the world in incredible places like Greece we heard about this morning. God, I pray for the person here watching online who maybe is not even yet a part of your family because they've never surrendered their lives to King Jesus. And I pray for that person that today would be the day that they would lay down their lives, that would wave the white flag of surrender, say, God, I'm tired of doing life my way. I'm tired of living for my kingdom. I want to live life in your upside down kingdom. And I want to follow your way because your way leads to abundant life. And that's what my heart desires is abundant life. So for that person, I pray that today would be the day they would repent from their sin, turn from their sin, accept Jesus freely, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and begin to love you and follow you and get a brand new family to do life with and a new mission and the gift of the Holy Spirit and all those things, God. But for all of us, I pray that we would take some step towards you today, whatever that looks like. We pray all these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Church, let's stand and let's worship.